Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome you guys that are joining us online. So if you didn't see the recap or hear anything about Running for Christ, um, it was obviously uh, last weekend, great opportunity uh, for somebody to be able to carry out vision. So they went out and had a horse show. And in the midst of that, uh, we're able to preach the gospel. Some people got baptized. So great weekend, a lot of stuff that went with it. So if you get a chance, go online, look at pictures and or talk to Jim and Ellen and see what happened. But it was a great weekend. All right, so if you have a Bible, Galatians 5, um, and so we're going to go through Galatians 5, and the hope was is that we'd be done this week, but we're not going to be done this week, uh, and we'll finish hopefully next week. But we're going to do part of Galatians 5 and then into Galatians 6 um, this week, and then try to finish it off next week. Now, here's the, the emphasis or the big picture that I want you to see so that today makes sense. So one of the things that we talked about from the beginning, why did Paul write a letter to churches, not just one, but a lot of churches in the area of Galatia? Why was it important? Well, what had happened is, is that, you know, every once in a while, people make mistakes like the Corinthian church. So he writes the Corinthian church and said, you're making a lot of mistakes. You just need to get your life right. But what he wrote the letter to the churches in Galatia was, not only are you making mistakes, you're making fatal mistakes because these mistakes are going to keep you out of heaven, right? You believed in a false gospel. So the idea of the letter was to say, hey, you need to understand, like, this, this is the problem. So it is a 911 emergency. You probably should listen. So he sets it up like that in the beginning. You need to listen. You need to understand it is a 911 emergency. Then he goes to the place of, what is the true gospel? So he teaches us what is the true gospel. Why is it that everybody's deceiving you? How do you keep falling into these traps? Like what is, you know, essentially what is your problem? How did you get to this place? So if you, like me, read this scripture based upon what it is, it somewhat shakes your foundation a little bit, right? For this reason, if you, like me, at different times in your life, read a, 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 a whole book like this, like go through the letter of Galatians, part of you're like, I wonder if I'm deceived. Like anybody ever, like when you're thinking, did you ever wonder like, am I okay? Am I like the Galatian church? Because you know what the problem with the Galatian church was? They didn't think they were wrong. They were people that were coming to church. They were people that were participating in church. These weren't people that were like missing church every Sunday. Like they were going to church and, and essentially going to hell and not even knowing it, right? Showing up every Sunday, believing the wrong message, and if nobody was going to do anything about it, they were going to spend eternity in hell. And to me, when you, when you come, because it was a message to the church, not to the outside world, I think sometimes the church is like, or even me, like, I wonder, am I deceived? Am I believing the wrong thing? Is there there's something in me that I need to change? And so what Paul, I think, anticipates that there's going to be this natural shake of a foundation, right? And be like, I got to make sure that I'm okay. I got to make sure that I'm in the right. And he knows that it's not based upon what you've been doing because we already went through that, right? Not works-based salvation and you could be doing a lot of things and still not be right. So you know where he goes to examine, to help you examine the one way that you can know if you're right? Examine the heart, right? Because you guys all know this, and I, I say this to young people that are dating all the time. Like, here's one of the things you need to do while you're dating somebody so you make sure you don't make the wrong choice. It's because here's the thing about dating, and you might have experienced this. People can fake it for a while. You ever been around those people that are good at it, right? Like, they, 
They're like, they're this person, and I've heard this before, and then I married them, and they became this person, right? Like, how in the world did that ever happen? Well, they were good at it, right? Because usually what comes out in the marriage is who they were all the time, right? It's just they weren't at a place where you could see it, or you didn't put it in a place where you could see it. And so I always tell young couples, like, as you're dating somebody, put them in positions where you can know where their heart is, right? Like, don't just have fun. Just don't go on dates. Put your person that you're going to marry in the position so you know their heart, right? Ask them to do things that's hard to fake, right? And we can't get into all of that, but ask them to do things or be a part of things you just can't fake. So what Paul does is he says, you know what? Let's try to figure out, if you want to know where you stand, this is what he would say to the people in the church, if you want to know where you stand, examine your heart because what's in the heart will come out at some point, right? So he's, works of the flesh, that's what we talked about last week because if it is in your heart, it will come out in the way that you live your life. So you want to know if your heart's not in the right place? He gives this whole list of things, although not exhaustive, but a whole list of things that are the work of the flesh. And if these are things are a part of your natural life, this is pretty much what he's saying. Your heart might be in the wrong place. So you probably should examine your heart. But then he goes into the other part of it, and he said, but it's not just the, the idea of the works of the flesh. There's also this idea of the works of the Spirit. So here's what he says, or reminds everybody in the room. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit that now resides in you. Now, this is important, okay? So don't miss this. Here's what Paul was trying to say. You remember in Scripture when it says, you know, if you're a Christian that you're going to bear fruit? And part of the biggest problem is you talk to people and they're like, well, I'm a Christian, but there's no fruit. Just so we're on the same page, that's not true. You can't be a Christian and bear no fruit. They're all in that same, we can say seasons of life, blah, blah, blah. Well, fruits of the Spirit are going to help you understand that even in the seasons of life, there's fruits of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Like it's going to be at different degrees, but seasons of life have nothing to do with, oh, there's just no fruit in my life. No. Seasons of life will change what's on the tree, but there will always be something on the tree. Right? So we need to understand that there will always be fruit, and if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, these things that he lays out, fruits of the Spirit, he would say should be a part of your life. Right? And you should see it because here's what he knows. If a heart is changed, so is a life. There's no such thing as a heart that's changed and a life that doesn't. It just doesn't go together. If your heart is changed, your life will change, and these are the fruits of life change. Like, these are the things that are going to happen. So we're going to look at today fruits of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. These are the things that should be present. If they're not present, you might want to examine your heart, right, of, of what's going on or why they're not present in your life. Then we're going to deal with what I think the church has missed for a really long time. What do you do with sin? Who defines it? How does God deal with it in our own life? And even to this point, how do you call out a brother and sister that are living in sin? Because that never goes over well, right? Like, nobody, nobody, nobody wants to confront somebody else to say, you're bad, right? Or you're sinning, or you're doing. But Scripture's very clear. 
on what we need to do and how we need to do it and what that looks like. So today is about finishing up Galatians 5, Fruit of the Spirit. Then we're going to go into Galatians 6, which is starting to deal with sin. And then we're going to finish Galatians 6 with the main point. Like this is Paul's main point at the end. Throwing like, this is all we need to know. You get all of this, but let me make sure you get this. In this world, right, you need, you need to understand this. So we know this from a salvation side. You will reap what you sow. So if you choose to pay for your own sin, like this is this side of it, if you choose to live your life outside of the grace and mercy of the blood of Jesus Christ, you will reap in eternity in hell. That's what it is. That's what you get. After you give your life to Christ, and I think this is the part that we, we, need, we forget because there's the given of you're going to reap what you sow in the life of, of, of a Christian that's better. But you know there's this other part of it that I think we forget. As a Christian person, you still sin. And as a Christian person, you still struggle with sin. And I want you to understand this, not from a condemnation standpoint, but only from a reality standpoint. You will reap what you sow. As a Christian person, when you choose to sin, the consequence is not eternal separation, but there is consequences on this earth. I know, right? Like that, that is hard to deal with because you have to remember, and we got to make sure we get this, God sees sin so seriously that he sent his only son to die for you. And to think that after we give our life to Jesus Christ that he's no longer going to take seriously the sin in your life, that's just craziness, right? Like we've taken care of one part of it, but I think inside of the church, we've not really focused on there is still God thinks very seriously about Christian people choosing to live in sin. Christian people that choose to keep going against what Scripture says. Like, we need to talk about it, not from a shaming, not from a condemning, but from a reality. Reap what you sow, right? And that we, right, as people, like part of us shy away from the idea that, that we should talk to other people about the sin in their life. But here's what you need to know. If you believe this, that, that Thaddeus, as my brother in Christ, is going to reap what he sows, and if his reaping right now, or if his sowing right now is in a bad place, I'm going to make sure I tell him because I care about him. Because I already know if he sows this lifestyle, you know what he's going to reap? On the other side of that is this, and it, only somebody who loves each other would say, that's, if you keep down that road, I love you, but that's what you're going to get. Not to shame him, not to condemn him, not to put him down, but just a reality. I know this about life. I know this about scripture. So if I love a brother, why wouldn't I talk to a brother? Right? Like, why wouldn't we make him aware of, like, this is what's going to happen? So that's how he ends it, and that's how we'll end in Galatians 6. All right, so Galatians 5, let's go to the fruits of the Spirit. 22 and 23. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit, right, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, this is the important, understanding, again, important to understand, against such things there is no law. Why? 
Because here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, remember we talked about this last week, and you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the fruit of your life will be what God wants it to be. This will be your nature naturally. You don't have to try to figure out if you're doing what God's called you to do. You don't need the law to put you in place. Does that make sense? So you don't have to go down those roads or think about those things. So let's talk about each one of the fruits of the Spirit and us, how it manifests inside of us. So the first one is love, right? The obvious, right? What does it look like to love? Now, culturally, what the world has believed love is compared to what love talked about in Scripture is completely different, right? So culturally, this is how love works. If you love me, if you're like me, and I can get along with you, I will love you. Fair to say? Right? We're in the same circles. We get along with each other. We're in a relationship with each other. You don't make me mad too many times. I'll love you. Right? That's cultural love. Right? It, it's reciprocal. If you love me, I'll love you back. If things go well, you know, I'll keep loving you. But as soon as there's a riff, as soon as there's a problem, as soon as we don't get along, we're no longer going to love right? This is what we talk about inside of marriage. I always say, the one thing that you need to realize inside of your marriage is the love that scripture talks about, because if you live by cultural definition of love, you will be divorced. If you live by cultural definition of love, you will not get along, like, because the cultural, because just so you know, at some point, you're not going to like your spouse. Anybody that's been married, right? Anybody's been married been like, oh my God, right? Like this isn't, isn't good. Like it isn't what I thought. I'm not being loved. It's not what I signed up for. Like there's those things. What do you do with that then? Well, scriptural love, agape love, that's what scripture talks about is this love that is the love that Christ gave you, right? So the love that Christ gave you, and this is what we all know, why you were still spitting on him, why you were still trampling on him, why you were still turned your back on him, he loved you before it was reciprocal. Right? The love of Christ is an agape love that he will love you unconditionally. It's not conditional. And so the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is we learn to love as Christ has loved us. Right? So it's conditional. That's why they always say, like a good marriage, right, that's showing agape love is the closest thing that you can see to the love of Christ, right? Because we already know that that's going to be a struggle to love your spouse unconditionally. True, right? Like it's going to be a struggle. And so when your kids, like when you're trying to teach your kids Jesus, you know what the best thing that you can show them? Unconditional love to your wife. Unconditional love to your husband. Because then all of a sudden they're going to be like, well, that's weird. Right? That's not normal. That's not the way that it's supposed to go. And then you get an opportunity to explain, I know, this is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus has done for me. You know how I can love your mama. You know how I can love you know, your dad. You know how we can do this? It's because Christ first loved us. And I'm going to show you that in real form by the way that I love your mother, by the way that I love your father, by the way that we're in relationship with each other. So agape love is a fruit of the Spirit that we have to start doing. Now, Here's the biggest struggle. What do you, you do with the people you don't like? Doesn't anybody have them? Like people you just can't stand? 
It's okay. I have people I can't stand, right? Like I have people that I can't be. What do you do with those people? How do you love somebody like that? Well, here's, here's how agape love works. You don't have to be friends with somebody to love somebody, right? What it means to have agape love is this. I don't like you, but I care about where your soul's going, so I'm going to love you in a way for you to know Jesus, whatever that takes. Does that make sense? Like, I can't be, like, we're not going to be buddies. We're not going to hang out. We're not going to have these long, drawn-out conversations, but I will pray for you by name, right? I'm going to pray for you by name. We'll never get along. We'll probably even never talk, but I, by name, I'm going to pray for you and trust that God's going to do something in your life, and you're going to come to know Jesus Christ for the prayers of other people. We don't have to be buddies for the work of the Holy Spirit to work. Agape love says we love unconditionally. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing he says. The next one is this, joy, right? So what is joy? Because for anybody that's lived in the world long enough, there are times where this life isn't so fun. Anybody been down those roads? Like, it's just not that good, right? Things aren't going the way that they're supposed to be. My marriage, my kids, I've lost somebody. I love somebody that's walked, like, tragedy, things that happen, you know, and so Agape, or the, the fruit of the spirit of joy, is this understanding. Regardless of the circumstances of life, I know that the one thing that he can never take away from me is my relationship with Jesus. So I have joy in knowing this. Satan, you can take everything in this world from me, but you can never take my relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm not happy because nobody that has lost somebody, nobody that's went through tragedy, nobody that's seen kids walk away, nobody that's seen, nobody's happy about that. But I can have great joy knowing the one thing that Satan can never take from me. Because when you live in this world, you know what's unfortunate? It's all up for grabs. It's what sucks about living here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's what sucks about being in the world, right? We still live in a fallen world where tragedy and death and cancer and wayward children and sinful lives and hurt is just in this world and we can't do anything about it until Jesus Christ comes back. It's still going to happen. So how do I get to this place where I have joy? Because let's be honest, when you have tragedy, it's hard, it's hard to keep on going. Anybody? It's hard to keep moving forward, but what keeps us moving forward is this. I have this, this deep understanding that it is well with my soul. Not this. This will never be well. Nobody will convince me that this is ever going to be good, but at the end of the day, it's well. I have a sense of it's well with my soul. Why? Because of my relationship with Jesus. That brings me joy. That, again is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't manufacture joy. You can't. If you've seen people go through tragedy, you can't manufacture joy. Listen, that just doesn't happen. You're just going to wake up all of a sudden and read an inspirational story on Instagram and watch it and all of a sudden be like, oh, life is so good again. Like, that's not the way it works. There's an inward thing. And it's a process, and it's hard to work through, but it is something that you have that the world does not have. They can't have it, they can't work through it, and they'll never be able to go down those roads. The next one is this, 
So we got love, joy, peace. So what does peace look like? Now, this is going to be the hardest one of all, I think. It's the hardest one for me. I still say this to this day. This is what doesn't make sense to me. So you know the whole idea of the peace that surpasses all understanding? Right, you've heard scripture talk about like there's this peace that surpasses all understanding. And the reason that that peace can come about, now this is what's hard, listen to me. You know why this is hard? Because that peace comes from this. All things. All things. Work together for the what? Good. Now you tell me how that was good. Anybody? I mean, let's be honest. How is that good? How is taking that person from me good? How is that relationship good? Anybody ever have those feelings? How is that ever good? That makes zero sense. There is nothing good about that. There is nothing on this earth. No one, I don't care what anybody says to me, through all of the, the tragedies and the things that I have in my life, they'll never convince me that in the scope of culture that it was good. They're just not. Do what? I know, but that's easy to say, but you still have a loss, right? You still have a tragedy. You still have a hurt. You still have a pain. How do we work through that pain, right? Like, you're right on the other, on the other side of it all, but what we got to start thinking about is how do you work through this idea to have peace that surpasses all understanding how do we in tragedy make it so that we can get to those those points and so here's what i got to just get at i will never be able to answer no one will be able to convince me and 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 again i can say this in theory right so you know god takes my wife god takes my mom like all of these things happen so in theory all things work for good well the thing that i'm trusting is god you must know the good so instead of trusting that i'm going to trust you because this ain't worth trusting. This world ain't worth trusting. People ain't worth trusting. Like, this stuff ain't working. But you know what I am going to do? What's going to give me a peace is I don't have to trust this. I can trust this. And at the end of the day, I still got a lot of questions. And everybody says, you'll never have those questions when you get up there. Well, right now, I still want the questions answered. <laughs> I get it. Like, everybody says, well, when you stand in front of God, you're not going to ask him those questions. Well, I don't know I still have them today, so I think maybe I will. Maybe something just happens and you don't have all those questions, but at the end of the day, I have a peace that surpasses all understanding because I don't have to trust an untrustworthy world. I don't have to trust untrustworthy people. I can trust him, and when I trust him, I have a peace that surpasses all understanding because although I don't think it's good, he must have something else. Right? I mean, I don't know where else to go other than that, but it's a peace, and honestly... I don't know how I get this peace. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. You know how sometimes you just have this like something comes over you that's not you? Yeah, that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. The next one is uh, patience and kindness. So fruit of the Spirit, patience and kindness. And this is more of an attitude, right? So he's talking about patience and kindness as an attitude, meaning this. When you live before Jesus, you lived in a me-first world right? Like most people did. It's like before Jesus, it was about you, 
right? And any time something interrupted your life, it tried your patience. And when your patience are tried, you're not very kind, right? Like that's just the way that it works. Our patience gets tried because people interrupt our life, right? Like I had my life and I had my plan and then these kids came along and then this came along and then this came along and now there's this big interruption in life and now all of a sudden it's hard and I don't have patience and I don't have so it's an attitude that has to start changing because again if you get outside of when you give your life to Jesus Christ you know what you recognize your life is not your own and when you start building in this idea that it's not my life and so I have to leave margin for the lives of other people, although it still tries your patience, the difference is you know what you're calling. There's something inside of you that can no longer walk by that annoying person or that person that's trying your patience. If they need you, you're going to stop, right? And you're going and, and, and to have this, this way of dealing with them that's not an angry way of dealing with them, an annoying way, but I'm going to deal with you or be with you because this is what God's called me to do. I'm still on this earth for you, right? That's why I'm here, and that's where we're going to go. So it's this attitude that you have to start working into. The, the next one he says is another fruit of the Spirit is this, goodness. Now, here's where we got to start talking real uh, truth, I guess, is the right thing to say because you can have an attitude that changes inside of you, right? And something wells up inside of you. But then here's where the rubber meets the road. What will you sacrifice to help other people? Because you know what happens in life too many times or in the church? And, I, and I'm not saying, so when I say this, don't be mad at me because I think you should pray, right? But you know what happens with prayer sometimes, right? It's an excuse to do nothing right? So you go up to somebody and they share their heart. They're like, oh, you know, tell me, how can I pray for you? And they're like, they just bare their soul. And you're like, oh, wow, I'll pray for you, right? And then you just go back. Like, they need help. They need your resources. They need your time. They need you to show up at their house. They need your money. They need whatever they need. And we're just like, I ain't getting in that mess, but I'll do the godly thing. I'll pray for you. And prayer is just an excuse to not act in the way that we should act. And there's this big divide. I don't know why it is, but in so many times, we just feel like, well, if we act, then I get sucked in. If I get sucked in, then it's going to be too much. And what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, and I'm down this rabbit hole, and they're never going to get away from it. And so because of that, we just stop doing good. Anybody, right? That just happens. And so as Christian people, we're just like, come to the front, and we'll pray over you. And I mean, we want to say we care about you, but if we never see you again, well, at least we pray for you. Right? We should pray, right? Don't get me wrong. We should pray, and we should act. You got something? I'll show up at your house. You need something? I'll be there. You, want, you need help in this matter? I'll go beside you. I'll walk beside you. I'll journey with you. Because the fruit of the Spirit is no longer mouthing the words of Christian people, but put into acts of the things that He's called you to do. Right? And I, like I said, you know, when Christians get bad raps, part of it is real, part of it's not real. But one of the bad raps is, is we talk a lot and do a little. You know, we run a lot, we, we have a lot to say. But when it comes to rubber meeting the road and it's going to cost you something, time and money, 
too much, I don't have enough time or enough money to give away. Right? So he's saying, in this, we need to, to, to understand that our goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. It'll just naturally be, what do you need? And I'll help and we'll give those things up. The next one is faithfulness. You can trust me. Remember when Scripture says that the greatest thing is that let your yes be yes and your no be no? Remember when it says that, let your yes be yes and no be no? The reason is, is that you should be able to trust me. Why? Because I trust the Lord. So as a believer who is faithful, right, that God is faithful to him, I should also be faithful to other people. You know what the funny thing in the world? You know why people say I promise? Instead of just yes or no, you know why I have to say I promise? Because you never deliver. <laughs> I'm not saying you, but you know why you have to say I promise? It's because there was another time that you said you were and you didn't, right? And they're wondering like, yeah, you say but you don't necessarily do, right? So a fruit of the Spirit is God is faithful to you, and we will show our faithfulness in the way that we act on it. You can count on me. If I said I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. If I said I'm going to show up in your life, I'm going to show up in your life. If I said I'm going to journey with you, I'm going to journey with you. My words are not empty words, right? Like I'm going to do. You can trust me. Why? Because I trust him. I thought that, that it should go in those things together. The next one uh, is gentleness, right? So here's how gentleness works. So one of the things that we know about gentleness is when it comes into, and when it only is factored in, is when somebody offends you, right? So before Jesus, when somebody has offended you, you tend not to deal gently with them. True? right? Somebody offends you, you want to do something about it. Like, if you hear about somebody offending you, you want to go and make it right, and you want to make sure that you right the offense. So if somebody said, you're going to do, if somebody acted, you want to reverse the action. But in that, the way that we deal with people is not gentle, right? It's not the way that, that, that uh, Scripture calls us to act, but it's the natural way that we do. We're going to, like, I am going to make sure that things are right. Like, if you ever had... Um, somebody ever talk about you gossip about you come on if you have if you don't think you have they have <laughs> they're talking about you right and and when they talk about you guess what it's not always good right they're gonna people talking behind your back and running their yapper and guess what happens with a bunch of gossipers they can't stop gossiping and someday it gets back to you right? And you're sitting in a circle, and you're not going to believe what they said about you. And your first instinct is, I'm going to go grab that little sucker <laughs> by, the, by his collar, and I'm going to make sure that he knows what he said was wrong, and I'm going to shake him until he knows that I'm right. Right? Like, this is what happens, or maybe it's not in a gossip circle, but do you ever get in an argument with your wife or husband? Anybody? And in, the midst of, and in the midst of that argument with your husband or wife, you're going to sit there and look at them and talk to them till they finally admit you're right. No? Come on, it's like, but you know, and you know, and what you don't understand, and what you need to hear, and what you need to hear, and it's like, I'm right, and you're wrong. And you're going to talk until one of them gives up. Maybe. Yeah, because again... Before Jesus, there is a need for vengeance and there's a need to be right. True? 
right? Let me, let me tell you something. The, the thing that Scripture is saying when it comes to gentleness, you can be gentle when you understand this. Vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord. And believe me, his vengeance is way worse than anything that you could ever do. Anything. And you know what the problem is? Because you always have to retaliate or you always have to go into those places, God can never do his work. You're always in the way. Let him go. Let it happen. Let it be. God's got a work to do. Just get out of the way. If he says vengeance is his and he's going to take care of it, trust him to take care of it. And it's way better if he takes care of it. Right? And in this, in our, the way that we can be gentle is we can understand this. I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to talk to you to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. We don't have to end the discussion with somebody winning, right? We can end the discussion with there's perspectives that are always different. The only thing that I need to be right on is my relationship with the Lord. So I can be gentle with people because we can just disagree. We're going to agree on Jesus. Like, I'll, I will talk all day long on who Jesus is and his blood. But you know what? The other one is there's just things we can disagree about. And I can be gentle with you because I don't have to be right. So that's a fruit of the Spirit that, you know, that comes out in our lives. The last one is this, self-control. Here's the thing is, as Christian people, you need to recognize for all of your life, till you die and stand in front of Jesus, you always have a battle with the flesh. Always. You will continue to struggle for the rest of your life Fruit of the Spirit works of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit works of the flesh. They're always going to be fighting against each other. And you know you're going to have some of those days where the fruits of the Spirit just evident. And you're like, yes. And then you're going to have those days where like, boy, that day sucked. You got to the end of it, and there was no fruits of the Spirit and lots of fruits of the flesh, and it was really bad, right? But the idea is, is that we understand that it's a battle, and what you're trying to exercise is self-control. You're trying to exercise this, not getting it all right and not being perfect, but there is a complete difference than just the lack of all self-control and you're just giving yourself over to all of the stuff that's just terrible, right? Have self-control, practice self-control, and when you go down these roads, self-control should be evident, not because you're perfect, but because you're working your way through the hills and the valleys. Right? That's how self-control will be evident in your life. It's not like I'm clear down and not only am I in a valley, I dug a ditch that's a mile long. Right? Like that's not self-control. Right? It's just, you know what? You get in a valley every so often and you're going to exercise self-control and you're going to walk your way back up. But you know there's going to be another temptation coming and you're just going to work through those things. That's the idea we need to be able to have self-control. Then he ends with this, after fruits of the Spirit, kind of re-emphasizing what he's been saying. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, this is the key part of it, if you want to underline it, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envy, uh, uh, and envying each other. So he just reminds you, if you want to get this right, if you want to have fruits of the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Provide yourself opportunities to hear and obey, hear and obey, hear and obey. Does that make sense? Right, and so you can start going down those roads. Now, here's the switch, and now we're going to go into Galatians 6. What do you deal with sin? How do we deal with sin? What does it look like? Right? And how do we then deal with the sin of uh, 
in our own lives and the lives of other people. So let's establish a few things. How do we know that something is a sin? Right? When, when we start, because you know that this is a problem today, right? So if you want to understand how to deal with sin, we got to decide where does sin come from? Because we are living in a culture today where the definition of sin is ever-changing. Right? People are taking that definition and twisting it. People are questioning whether or not can this really be a sin. So here's something you got to land on. As Christians, we believe that Scripture is our ultimate truth and that it is without error and that if Scripture says it's a sin, it's a sin, right? Like you can, you can, and again, people do this all the time, and, and I get it why people do this. Do you ever have somebody come to you and say, well, how do you know you can, can trust the writings of the Bible that it wasn't translated in something that was wrong? Like, you ever have anybody talk to you about that? What happens if King James would have translated it to get his way done? Right? Well, you realize that most of the time, people aren't intellectually trying to understand the translation of Scripture. You know what they're trying to do? Is they're trying to come up with a reason why they don't have to follow this part of it. Right? Like, that's the only reason. It's not really, because if you do, I'll just challenge you with this. If you go on an intellectual journey to figure out the translation of scripture and why you can trust it, I guarantee you, you will be like most scholars that you can see that the Bible is the most trusted historical book that you could ever read. Like if you truly go on a, go on a quest or on a journey, but you realize most people aren't doing that, right? Most people aren't saying, well, how do you trust the translation? Because the translation could be, listen, I, I get where you're at. I know what you're saying, but at the end of the day, instead of trying to distrust Scripture, why don't you trust the Lord with what you don't understand? Does that make more sense? Right? Like, there are some things that I read today, and I'm like, <laughs> yes, I know, but I can't rewrite it because I don't understand it right? I can't change it because I can't get my mind around it. I just have to go back to, oh, this is what it says, so I'm going to have to trust the one who said it. Now, over time, I'm praying that he will reveal to me how this makes sense and how it can work together, but I'm not going to rewrite it because as soon as you start rewriting it, you no longer need a savior. You no longer need anybody to help you work through the journey. So we have to establish that. Where do we determine sin and how do we establish that? Here's the other thing. This is, this is foundational. If you don't get this part right, so this is where we get wrong. So a lot of people have done this. Oh, yeah, the Bible, right? The Bible is where we determine sin. Now, this is where there's a huge disconnect on how you deal with other people if you don't get this right. Yes, you're right. Scripture is our authority, and it says that there are sins. But when you read it and think you are not a sinner, you will have no idea how to deal with other people. And this is what happens in the church, right? This is my authority. And, and again, you're, you're somewhat of a liar, but you read it and you're like, look how good I am, right? And then you try to tell other people how good you are and how good they should be instead of it going from this perspective. Guess what? We both are sinners, we're both on a journey. We're both going down this road. And when I talk to you about sin, we're talking to it as brothers and sisters in Christ that are on the same journey. That is significantly different than me preaching at you, right? 
about how I have everything right and you have everything wrong. We have to get this piece right or you'll never be able to deal with anybody. If you go from the perspective that you're not a sinner because we all deserve the same thing, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, everybody in this room deserves the same thing and everybody in this room is on the same level playing field. I don't care how long you've come to church, how many Bible verses, how many times you've read the Bible, in and out. That doesn't make any difference. We're all on the same playing field. All sinners falling short of the glory of God. Thankful for a Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his death. We're all on the same page. When you get that right, when you establish that in your life, dealing with other people is just a journey. Right? Talking through people about sin is just a journey. <laughs> Me too, man. Like, we're all going down that same road. So we need to establish that in each one of our lives and make sure that we understand that that's right. The other thing is this. Unconfessed sin, okay, this, this is hard to get, but unconfessed sin in your life has serious consequences as a Christian person. And I know this is difficult to hear, but you're going to hear it later on. If you choose to hide your sin and you choose not to deal with your sin, remember when we were talking about like sin once it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, this isn't affecting your salvation, but do you do realize in this world for your sin that there is consequences? You can choose to, to do whatever you want and think that there's no problem with doing whatever you want, but that at the end of the day, God's not looking at it being like, oh, they're sinning. It's no big deal. Thankful for Jesus dying for them. No, he's like thankful for Jesus that we can be in a relationship, but shame on you for keep doing that. We're going to write, we're going to get this right. There's consequences. Only a terrible father would not, would not uh, punish their sons and daughters to bring them back in line. Terrible fathers are the ones that let their kids do whatever they want. Everybody's like, young kids are like, he's the cool dad. And I'm like, that's garbage. The cool dad isn't the one letting you do whatever you want because someday you're going to pay for that because you're going to be that dad. Right? And you're going to pay for that. Like, I'll just do whatever I want. No, a dad that takes responsibility shouldn't have to be cool. He's a father. He doesn't have to be a friend. He has to be a father. This is what it means to be the son. This is, you know what? If you act like an idiot... This is what happens when you act like an idiot. Not because I don't love you, because there is consequences. Okay, so that's another thing that we have to establish. And the last one is this. Should we, because we've got to get this right, should we as Christian people confront people who are sinning? You don't have to answer it because I know what everybody's natural tendency is going to be. But here's what I want you to think about. You know what we're good at? You know, you know what Christian people, you know what we're really good at? We're good at looking at a world that doesn't know Jesus and calling them sinners. Although, how are they, remember where we established sin? Where did we establish sin? Through the Bible. Do they believe in the Bible? Do they know any different? They don't know any different, but yet you're out there like, you, you know, and you're, you're pointing at these people where their standard is not what Scripture says, and you're completely ignoring what scripture tells you to do. Don, as a brother in Christ, if you're sinning, it's my obligation to talk to you and be on a journey with you. And it's not judging, right? That's everybody. Who are you to judge? It's not judging. It's responsibility. My responsibility is not to people that I don't know, right? Like I shouldn't walk up to somebody I don't know and be like, hey, by the way, right? Like that's weird. 
right? Like that doesn't work. But for the people that you're in relationship with, Don should be able to call me out. I should be able to call out Don. And you know why? Because I love him. I should be able to look at him and just say, you're wrong. You're not in the right. You're not going down the right road. And you know what? And we're going to talk about this later. We're not going to get to it today. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to be on a journey with you. This isn't about pointing a finger and leaving you aside. It's about walking a journey with you because we're both, I'm going to need it too, right? Well, I'm going to need it too. Let's walk together, right? Let's be on this journey together. So we have to establish those things. Now, with that in mind, let's read Galatians 6, 1 through 6. Here's what he says. Galatians 6, 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin... You who live by the Spirit, important to understand, people living by the Spirit, should restore the person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, that then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with its instructor. Now, we're going to get to this next week, but we're going to talk about how to deal with a person and confront them with sin. But I want you to get this first. How does sin affect you? Right? So when you choose to sin as a believer, how does it affect you? Here's the first way. You know that inner joy and peace that we talked about that comes as the fruit and spirit? Every, anybody ever sin and you just get this feeling like, Ugh. right? Like this feeling that's like, uh, 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 that wasn't so good and I'm just not at peace. And there's just, there's a turmoil that happens inside of you that again is an effect of sin in a spirit-filled person right? That's just the way it works. When you sin now, there's something that goes on inside of you that you don't feel so good about anymore, and that joy and peace that you had before all of a sudden becomes into fear and anxiety, right? And it just manifests itself inside of you. So that's one effect that sin has. You know what the other one, which I think is overlooked at times? So remember this. When you, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you got two things. The Holy Spirit, who now resides in you, and you know what else you got? a gift, right? This is what it says in Scripture. You receive the Holy Spirit, which now lives inside of you, and you received a gift from the Holy Spirit. That gift is something you did not have before Jesus, or before you gave your life to Christ, that you now have, and it's very specific. You know what you're supposed to use it for? Believers, the body of Christ, you were given something so that you could turn around and give it to somebody else, right? Like, that's the idea. And if you do it, this is the cool thing, if you do it and you start doing your spiritual gift and acting in the way that God's called you to act and giving away the things that he gave you, things around you are going to change exponentially. They just do. Because you're acting out of a gift that you were given by God, and then you're giving it back for the reason that it was designed, and you're going to see things multiply and multiply and multiply. Things that you could never do before, right? But it was from a gift, and it was being able to be given to you. But you know what happens when sin enters your life? That spiritual gift that God gave you all of a sudden becomes ineffective. It doesn't go away. 
right? And it's not like he's up there punishing you, but there's just this real reality that your effectiveness and usefulness when we don't deal with it. Now, remember what I'm saying. I'm not saying that because we are sinners, it's because we could choose to continue to sin. Does that want to make sure that that's right because we're all sinners so it's not that we're a sinner that affects the, the the genuineness or the usefulness of the spirit it's when we choose to not deal with the sin in our life right it's when we choose to walk away from the sin in our life so we got to recognize that it has a significant effect on each one of us in the way that we can work or be useful here's the other one sin affects your relationship with god not your relationship as a son or a daughter, but in your relationship on how you two can work together and the things that can happen in your life. And this is why. Sin, things that we don't deal with, grieve the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, okay, and this would take a whole other time and I'm already way over, but here's what you need to know. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, it affects your physical body. Okay? Now, I'm going to preface something because it's a pet peeve of mine and it's honestly something that still to this day I get mad about. But, so when I talk about this, there's a real reality that when there's sin in your life that affects your body. Like I've had people come up to me and talk to me about like people that I've lost or people that have had things happen in their life and they go, you know why they had that happen, didn't you? Guess what their answer is. You know why they died, don't you? Unconfessed sin in their life. And I'm like, <laughs> I am going to throw punch you. <laughs> because what we're talking about here, don't put into over here. That's not the way it works. Don't lump this whole thing together and think that everything that you want to describe that happens is just undescribable. All of a sudden, you want to use your religiosity to bring it over here and to say that happened because they must have had gun confess sin. So just so we're on that same page, right, that I don't believe that and will never believe that, but I do want you to know what Scripture says. So here's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. So there is this heart condition that God wants to deal with, right? And the heart condition is this. So you remember when we say before communion, you need to take a time of meditation? Or we're all still good because this is actually an important part. So if the rest was boring, listen to this, right? So you remember when right before you take communion, it's a time of meditation. Why? Here's what he's telling you to do. Examine your heart, right? And when you examine your heart, this is what it should unveil. I am a sinner thankful for a Savior. And when I partake in communion, it's a reminder that I'm a sinner thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ, thankful for his broken body, and I'm not walking up here just to take a shot of grape juice and throw some bread in my mouth. Right? Like, I'm not just coming up here for that. I am processing a heart condition of I'm a sinner thankful for a Savior. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians who are just coming up, you know, getting some, you know, stuff in their mouth, you know, getting the bread and just eating more bread than they should, like taking the loaf and just eating it and throwing it down with wine and not caring at all. That's a heart condition. Nobody would do that, right? That's not the way we should do it. We, we should look at our, we all... So he says this about that, coming in with the wrong condition or the wrong heart. For those who eat and drink, this is doing communion, without discerning the body of Christ and, and eat, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
There is a reality that if you choose to not deal with sin in your life, that there will be physical things that can happen to your body, right? Things that, that from the Spirit cause you to wake up to the fact that you're sinning. Now, this can be explained sometimes very naturally. Like if you've ever tried to hide sin from somebody, do you know what it, you know that living a lie, do you know what that does to your body? Anybody ever try to live a lie for a while? You live a lie for a while, and then all of a sudden you're like, it's eating you from the inside out. Do you know what I mean? When you're living the fake life and you're putting on in front of everybody, inside of you, 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 you all of a sudden, you, you, the spirit doesn't have to make you weak. Spirit doesn't have to make you sick. You did it yourself because of living in that way. But he says very clearly that that's the fact. Now, here's the last one. The worship team's going to finish up and we're going to uh, end on this one. And then next week, talk about how to restore a sinner. Sin, your sin, has a ripple effect on other people. So please don't miss this. For all of you that believe that you are sinning and the only person that's ever going to get punished or the only person that's ever going to be affected is you, is completely false. It's completely false. Scripture is very clear. The sins of a father, y'all tracking? The sins of a father will have an effect on generations of people. Now, don't get me wrong. Can we break a generational curse? Amen. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can break it. But at the same time, don't ignore this, okay? Fathers, the sins of a father will have generational effect that you will have to turn around and break because your sin is having a generational effect on your children. That's just the way it works. The, th the decisions and the choices that you are making in your life today are having generational effects. It's not just you, right? It's not just, again, I say this all the time, like when, when you're together, people are watching. I'm not even saying the outside people. I'm saying your kids and the people that are around you, they're getting an understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They're getting an idea of who Jesus Christ is from you. That's where they're getting it. And we're an imperfect model, but we're the model. It starts somewhere. Like we got to give them something. Right, to be able to look at and be able to understand. So please don't ever believe that somehow in this world you can live isolated by yourself in your sin and you're the only one ever affected. It will affect other people. But at the same time, I don't want to leave you on a sad note. On the same time, living out the fruits of the Spirit, living out a Spirit-filled life also has a ripple effect that will go on for generations and generations and generations. You know what? Because this is what's going to happen someday. Someday, right? You might not even know this, but you're living out your life and you're living by faith and we can't make sense of it all and it's all out there and we're just trying to do the best you can. You know what's going to happen someday? When you live by the fruits of the Spirit, someday somebody's going to walk up to you and you know what they're going to be like? Hey, thank you. In heaven someday, somebody's going to come up and say, thank you. I'm here today because you chose to be faithful. Not to have it all right, not to get it all right, not to live a perfect life, but you chose that you were going to live a life 
faithful and that it will have a ripple effect that you're not even going to know. And someday in heaven, people are going to be walking up to you saying, I am so thankful for you because you were faithful, because you chose to be in the fight, because you chose to not try to be perfect, but try to be faithful. And because of those things, it's having a ripple effect and things are changing. Right? That's what he's called each one of us to do and to be. And if we just live through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be guaranteed there will be lives forever changed throughout all of history. We stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have such a great gift living inside of us through the Holy Spirit, Lord. We continue to pray that as we battle against the flesh, that the fruits of the Spirit will be evident in our lives. Lord, and I pray that we will understand sin is not to be taken lightly. Lord, that we need to be on our guard, that we need the full armor, that we need to stay in the places that be vigilant to fight against the sin, Lord. And we just pray that you continue to give us the strength to bring glory to you and you alone. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.